You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. Wednesday, 23 November, local October inflation due later. I'm Simon Brown coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb studios in Houghton, Johannesburg. On the show today, we're going to be chatting with Carmen Meporwani. I want to touch on those Omnia and those PEPCOR results. We're also going to be talking hedge funds, in particular, why, why private clients, why sort of you and I have so little exposure and you know, is it a lost uh, opportunity. And then Lula Kruger from PWC, MPC, tomorrow, inflation today, what do we expect? The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlip.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlip Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines for MoneyWeb. After unbundling NetBank four years ago, Old Mutual is planning to launch a bank in the next two years. Banks are becoming insurers and insurers becoming banks. This is the bank assurance idea of the early 2000s. Business Day, the bank regulator thinks Telcom Chairman Loco has too much on his plate. The Prudential Authority wants the executive to step down from Telcom and focus on ABSA, according to sources. Uh, morning markets, U.S. was green, S&P up 1.3%, NASDAQ up 1.5%. In Asia, we've got Sydney up uh, two-thirds of a percent. Tokyo is closed for Labor Thanksgiving Day. Commodities mixed overnight gold, 1,754. Brent, 88.24. Platinum, $1,002 an ounce. Palladium, 1865 Rand, 1725 Bitcoin, 16500 10 cent is up just over 1% in the Hong Kong lunch break. And top 40 opening call, looking for about a 240 point open to the upside. That is just over a third of a percent. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. Chatting now with uh, Carmen Meperani. She is, of course, Portfolio Manager at ABSA Asset Management. Carmen, appreciate the early morning. We are Results are coming thick and fast at the moment. To that, that really stood out for me. Omnia, uh, all results have some level of, of, of base effect. But, I mean, Omnia has been an astounding story over the last uh, uh, sort of pandemic and even into the pandemic. And those, I thought, were fairly good numbers. They were. Um, like you've mentioned, there's definitely some recovery, um, keeping in mind that a large part of their business is related to agriculture and fertilizers, mm-hmm. and there's been a short supply of that. So definitely a tailwind from that side. They've also managed to ensure that the uh, supply chain optimization program yields benefits as well. So we've seen that come through. Um, you know, on the mining side, definitely been a bit of some wobbling, but that's more so on the cost uh, input than mm-hmm. on the top line. Um, and so that's definitely given Omnia a boost as we've seen it. And the other set was was Pepco. Omnia is going to be a little more cyclical because, of course, agri and mining will have boom and bust periods. Pepco markedly less so. Um, and, and they're, I mean, I suppose they they're doing my senses the right things right, um, and and keeping their head down and, and and managing the business. And they've got some really huge brands in that stable. They do. So we obviously know Pep and Ackermans and. One of the things that I've been beating on the drum about this is um, the consumer who's under pressure, yes, but they're likely to downtrade. And mm. when they downtrade, they're likely to look at this the, the BEPCO stable, as you've mentioned. But these results were a bit of a mixed bag. Um, I think a lot of the one of just 
sort of took away any clarity we could get in terms of, you know, how clean operations are going. They've added the Brazilian um, asset yep. operations as well. So that's definitely um, made the waters a bit muddy. But having said that, um, you know, resilience seems to be coming through. But we hope to see sort of a, a clear disclosure and, and better um, sort of outlook going forward. But similarly to all the other retailers, we're seeing them say, you know, load shedding has been an issue for them. Um, as I've mentioned in the numbers, we've got KZN floods, we've got the unrest in the prior year. So a lot of muddiness. Um, but I think retail uh, and apparel retailers in general have just been suffering of late. This is one that has done pretty well over the last few weeks, uh, but came off yesterday on the back of these. It, it did come down a, a little bit, although it's had, it had a couple of good weeks. I've always pondered to myself, I mean, is, is Pepco almost kind of the, the shop right of, of, of clothing, whereas shop right is the, well, the <laughs> shop right of food, I suppose. I mean, is, is, is it, or, or, or I mean, are, are they of the quality? I mean, to me, a shop right, and I'm talking my book here, I've heard they held that share for, for decades. I mean, is this something mm-hmm. to, to, to sort of put in a portfolio and say, you know what, as shoppers shop down or as they shop up, there are always going to be people coming through their stores? Absolutely. You know, when we talk about social grants and specifically the continuation of the distress social grant, PEPCO and I would hazard a guess that ShopRite and PEPCO are the ones that benefit the most mm-hmm. um, in terms of, of gaining from that. But again, like you've mentioned, if you just look at revenue numbers, these volumes that these guys are pushing through and similarly to ShopRite, which is probably the biggest retailer, literally just churning, <laughs> churning ahead. So. Um, if you look at the demographics of the country, it definitely speaks into this sort of category, the discount uh, retailer mm. uh, or the value retailer, sorry. So um, we we see them churning along. And as long as they can get that supply chain right and keep their costs down going forward, it will continue to be so. Yeah, the, the scale is amazing. Pepco opened 300 stores, which is pretty much, uh, I think, every day except Sundays and public holidays, they were opening <laughs> new stores, which which boggles my brain. My brain. Carmen Mepoani, Portfolio Manager, EPSA Asset Management. Appreciate the early morning. Hear that? Nothing. Your money can do more when it blocks out the noise, as hard as it is these days. When you invest in the Standler Balanced Cautious Fund, We manage the risks so that you can see stable inflation-beating returns through market cycles. Invest with more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on The Money. Jenny and I with Nasi Basisun Kondi, Head of Hedge Funds at Old Mutual Multi-Managers. Uh, Nasi Basisun, I appreciate the early morning. Hedge funds in South Africa, I mean, they've been around for, what, over two decades, launching, I suppose, the, the, the late 90s. And and in a note you put out, they they do what they say on the sticker. I mean, one of the key things with hedge funds is an ability to be a, 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 a long and short fund. And they have generally outperformed traditional equity funds. Hi, Simon. Um, certainly. I mean, hedge funds uh, are quite fascinating because, I mean, we know that the traditional way of investing is really about buying shares or investments that you believe will go up over time. Mm. And very importantly, avoiding those shares that you believe will fall in price or in value. And uh, hedge funds are fascinating in that they can make money in a falling market by buying those very shares that you believe will fall in, in future. And, and like you say, it's very it's a very different way of extracting alpha. 
that is otherwise not available to long-only managers. And also, like you said, Simon, the hedge fund industry is um, has been around for almost 30 years um, in South Africa, and has uh, all the I mean, the managers in this space have successfully managed money um, over this period. And and my understanding of, of of hedge funds is they should be fairly uncorrelated to other asset classes, which which gives them a, a, a fairly compelling reason to to put them in a in, in an overall uh, individual's portfolio. portfolio. Yes, no, definitely. And that uncorrelated part really comes um, from the fact that, you know, there are these additional tools that hedge fund managers have, like I said, that are not available mm. to traditional managers, where you can short shares. You can actually buy shares that you believe are going to fall in price and also you use that money that you get from shorting um, to also amplify returns by investing in your high conviction ideas or the stocks that you believe will um, will increase in price. So it's essentially use that money to fund those positions. So it effectively then you, you're able to, mm. to, to, to benefit from both the selling side of things and also using those proceeds um, mm-hmm. to deploy or fund those other ideas. I hadn't even thought of that. Do we have a sense of, of, of how big the industry is in terms of, of assets under management in South Africa? Um, it's about just short of 90 billion in assets under management, and it's, it's quite small in the yeah. big scheme of things. I mean, if you compare to the assets that are managed in the unit trust space in South Africa that are in trillions. Um, so it's surprising that an asset class that has done so well has very little presence, especially in the retail investor portfolios, um, given how well it's done and also given the diversification benefits that it, it, it potentially offers to, um, to, to investors. And, and you make the point. I mean, ninety billion. I mean, it's a lot of money to to you and I, but for for, for the industry, not so much. And, and certainly, retail investors. You, you, in the note you put out, they have very low exposure. I mean, ninety five percent of investors are, are institutional yeah. investors. Retail investors yeah. seem to shy away from from hedge funds. Yes, someone, and I think it's also got largely got to do with the fact that people are generally not comfortable talking about hedge funds, and also given. Um, the bad reputation, you know, um, and based on um, incidents that have happened in offshore markets mm-hmm. um, where you've had some hedge funds blow up in the past, and we've not had any uh, such experience locally in that, you know, the local hedge fund industry has always been managed in a conservative manner. And this is even before um, the hedge fund regulations in South Africa were introduced. And that is now a lot more with the, I mean, the recent introduction, not so recent anymore because it was in 2015 when um, the, the, the official hedge fund regulation was, was introduced in South Africa. And that basically means that, you know, hedge funds are now regulated under yeah. Cisco and alongside all the other unit trust um, funds in South Africa. And therefore, investors enjoy the same level of oversight um, in the hedge fund space as, as they do in any other unit trust that, that they invest in. Yeah, um, that CIS is important, and you make the point that, that you know, we look at them separately, but they've got the same level of regulation as, as active managers, as, as unit trusts, as passive, as ETFs, etc. What about fees? I mean, one of, the, one of the, 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 the concerns, I suppose, around hedge funds is, oh, they charge ridiculous fees. You make the point that, oh, maybe, maybe not, but they look at the returns after fees and, and, and make sure you're, you're happy with that. No, definitely. Um, fees is definitely an important part. 
And um, like you say, um, Simon, what we tend to advocate for is to look at the returns after fees. Mm-hmm. But I also just want to make the point that the fees have actually generally come down in the hedge fund industry from mm-hmm. the levels that we tried to historically. And that is because as managers um, reached critical mass in terms of the assets that they manage in the hedge fund space, they have passed back that benefit to clients by lowering fees. And in our instance, you know, with, you know, being in the multi-manager space, you you have, you know, a, a lot more assets that, I mean, a lot more assets and therefore have negotiating power. So we are able to further negotiate lower fees with managers. But like you said, what is important is that, you know, the, the outperformance that we have seen come through in hedge funds is net of fees. Mm-hmm. And I just want to make an example and just say, you know, um, over the past 10 years, for an example, um, the median return of the SA long short equity, that's a strategy within hedge funds, has outperformed, you know, um, the, 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 the equity market or the SA equity market by more than 1% over the past 10 years. So for every year, the hedge funds have generated an additional 1% return, and that is net of fees. And that's the median return, and that, that's very important for me to mention. And I also feel like, um, sorry, Simon, uh, you know, most invest- investors uh, kind of lost faith in the asset class, you know, um, on the back of the rough patch that hedge funds experienced in 2016 and 2017. And when you look at the 10-year period, the number that I've just quoted, mm. it actually includes that period. Uh, where you know, hedge yeah. funds had relatively underperformed. And if you just look at the period since, that is post-2017, that is about five years to date, hedge funds have actually outperformed by 2% um, uh, or, or more net of fees. So they've definitely added value, and the investors that, you know, that remained invested have definitely um, benefited from having the additional diversification in their portfolios. Yeah, and, and the key point is Alpha, and they, they're delivering what they what they promised in the sticker. They, they're bringing Alpha to, to the party. We'll leave it there. Really appreciate the time. Nosisi Busa Nkwanduya, Head of Hedge Funds at Old Mutual Multimath Managers. If seagulls were harder dars who could afford to retire to the coast, what kind of bird would you be? Would you soar over the savannah or chase summer around the globe? You see, even when you stop working, your money won't. When you invest in Stanlib's fixed income funds, you can retire earning a regular income off your investments. Invest for more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. Taking with Lulu Krugel. Uh, she is Chief Economist for PwC in South Africa. Lulu, appreciate the, the early morning. Uh, two busy days on, the, on, on, on the, the sort of the monetary front. We've got uh, CPI for October later today, MPC out tomorrow. I suppose first step is uh, CPI for October. What are you and your team's expectations for, for the number? Well, we are expecting that inflation should have... Uh should have reached its peak, mm-hmm. and we're expecting around a seven seven point four percent or thereabouts to to be in the numbers today. So uh, slow moderation of inflation, but we're still very worried about core inflation. If you look at food prices, fuel prices, so pressure continuing from that side. Uh, but hopefully, we will see things uh, starting to to moderate. 
7.4, the, the target range is 3 to 6. The governor always refers to 4.5. He does his inflation anchoring, I think, incredibly well. I suppose it's a core component of his job. Do you expect it, 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 it'll get back into the, 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 the 3 to 6 band? When do you expect that to happen? Well, we're expecting that to happen uh, sometime next year, mm-hmm. around the middle of next year, or maybe a little bit earlier. But it is as a result of um, of statistical base effects, to be, yeah. to be quite honest. If we look at, at the high rates of inflation that we've seen this year, uh, the moderation that we're seeing next year is, uh, to a large extent, as a result of the very high levels this year. But we do expect it uh, to look better next year and to get back into that or below 6% uh, for the year as an, as an average, uh, but around um, the latter end of the first quarter, maybe uh, start of the second quarter next year. And then uh, MPC's meeting, Monetary Policy Committee today, and then tomorrow announcement tomorrow afternoon on the repo rate and the prime rate. Expectation for that, we've been getting some some 75-point increases, which have been <laughs> quite sucker punches to, to, to the consumer. Another 75 points or maybe a half a percent? Um, I, I have to say, uh, we've been debating, you know, would, be a, would it be a 50 basis points, 75 basis points? But unfortunately, at the moment, our uh, weight is going towards another 75 basis points, unfortunately. So probably about a 60-40% um, mm-hmm. probability weighted towards uh, towards the 75%. There are even a few economists out there that saying we should uh, go for, a, for 100 basis Oof. points. Um, which would which would be um, in my in my book uh, really really bad news for the consumer. Um, but unfortunately, we it's not a question. As, um, even if we if we will see a rate hike, we definitely will see it. And uh, twenty five basis points uh, wasn't even on our discussion. So we think unfortunately we need to ready ourselves for another seventy five basis points. Hopefully that would be the last big one. Uh-huh. Um, and and from next year onwards, we might see smaller moves um, until we get to a peak of around seven and a half percent repo rate. So we need to brace ourselves for probably seventy five and another fifty uh, somewhere early next year. Okay, but maybe maybe the fifty comes in in, in, in quarter percent rather than in the full fifty. <laughs> so so so, so we're closest to inflation's probably peaked back in the the band, let's say mid year. Probably uh, rates stop increasing sort of Q one of of next year. When do we start to see rates come down? Or is that uh, that that too big a question for now? I think we will probably sit at this level for a while. Um, okay. And and uh, I I think probably only towards uh, the end of next year or even um, in 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 2024 we can start even discussing a potential uh, reduction of rates um, unless of course there's a major change that comes mm. in the global environment and we see um, a massive stabilisation in energy prices which at this point in time looks unlikely. You know, as long as the war in the in in uh, Ukraine drags on, um, we will probably see heightened energy prices. And unless there's some solution uh, that the global economy can come up with, uh, which would also take time, uh, take time, um, we we don't see that there will be a major change in the in the global energy situation and food as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that are being done in different parts of the world. We heard what Biden is doing in the U.S. to try mm-hmm. and stabilize inflation. So 
So, um, but if you keep all of that in mind, um, unfortunately, we're probably in for a little bit of a longer run in struggling to get uh, to get energy and food prices under control. And that is what's, what's causing uh, the challenge on our end as well. Well, Lydia Krugel, uh, she is Chief Economist at PwC in South Africa. Appreciate the early morning time. And that's our question today on our, our poll. MPC uh, tomorrow, what are you expecting? 75 points, uh, maybe 50. Maybe you're hoping they pause. I don't see that happening. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and Twitter. <laughs> That's it for today. We're chatting with Perkley Radenhurst yesterday on his bearish view of markets for the rest of the year. Basically, he's saying no Santa rally. We asked, what's your expectation? It was pretty much evenly split, although the bears just edged it out by saying, uh, nope, bearish for the rest of the year. The rest of you were split evenly between uh, you were bullish for the, the Santa rally, or many of you actually just wanting the year to please end already. Have your vote, have your say, Twitter and LinkedIn. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning. The MoneyWeb website's in the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie Nobochle, Nicole, to you for listening. My guests for their early morning. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. We'll chat again tomorrow. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.